Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. Let our podcast inspire you with inside stories and conversations about innovation. Hi, everyone. Today, I'll be talking to Tom van der Wegen. Uh, Tom is an award-winning investigative journalist, and he was the correspondent bureau chief in Beijing and in Washington for the Belgian public broadcaster VRT. In 2018, Tom received a fellowship at Stanford University, where he researched the impact of artificial intelligence and blockchain on journalism. Today, he's back at VRT News, reporting on geopolitics and developing an AI strategy for the newsroom. So, welcome, Tom. Hi. Very happy to have you on our show. Great to be here. Thanks. Maybe you can start by telling us a bit about yourself um, and your experiences at Stanford. So, what led you there? And what did you exactly research and learn? Yeah, well, big, big question. Um, after um, reporting from China for five years, I was uh, the, the bureau chief there, um, had some stories on propaganda, disinformation and so on. And then covering the U.S. from Washington, D.C. for four years and, and uh, reporting on the, the Trump campaign and the U.S. election in 2016, I was more and more concerned about disinformation, fake news, and specifically the deepfake phenomenon that, that arised, yeah, was around 2000, end of 2016, 17, that it really started. You could see some clips, you know, the famous clip where Obama was faked uh, by Jordan Peele, that, that in a way this was for me like the beginning of this idea that we had to step up our efforts as journalists uh, and as newsroom to to fight this deep fake phenomenon and uh, that's why i uh, i got the idea to write stanford with this research proposal um, every year they award a fellowship to about 15 journalists all over the world uh, mainly u.s journalists of course but uh, every year like or five people from Europe, from Africa, from Russia are invited to uh, work on innovation in media. And that's was my idea. And, and for some reason, they uh, awarded this to me <laughs> as, the, as the first Belgian in uh, three decades to be at Stanford. So I was very surprised, very happy. And yeah, my, my approach was, okay, first study the deep fake phenomenon without knowing what artificial intelligence is. It's very difficult. So that was my first part of my research to uh, study AI, uh, what is AI all about. So I took a lot of classes with the, the, the masters of AI at Stanford, uh, Fei-Fei Li, uh, Andrew Wing, and so on. Yeah, just to educate myself, of course, on AI and then study the impact of AI on societies, uh, especially China, where I lived for five years and where AI is becoming the new god, as we all know. And yeah, when you speak about impact on society, you also speak about impact on journalism and on newsrooms. So that was my, my third part of, of the research. And after a couple of months, I, I could assemble a lot of people. I, I, the network grew in, in Silicon Valley and more and more people. I could convince about the urgency to do something about deepfake because that was really not easy in the beginning. Uh, a lot of even researchers, professors at Stanford University told me, hey, why are you so afraid of this deep fake thing. I mean, it's typical journalists. You guys are fear mongers. Uh, there won't be a problem. We have Photoshop for uh, decades now, maybe. And, and there's 
nothing wrong with that. So, so it was difficult. It's an uphill battle to convince people and, and to raise that awareness uh, that deepfake could become a real issue. So after a couple of months, I could assemble this team, deepfake research team. And, and yeah, we started to raise that awareness, try to build tools. That was a, a big part of our research. Um, see how we could approach this deepfake phenomenon and also to see how we could maybe use blockchain, for example, uh, from the source. And the moment when you are creating a video, maybe blockchain is a way to help build that trust and individual verification. So that was, in a nutshell, what I've been doing. And then, and yeah, I mean, it's still going on. It's I'm back now in Brussels at VRT, but the research is still going on. So that's, uh, we can discuss that later on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talked about the tools like uh, yeah. blockchain um, for detecting deepfakes. Um, can you talk a bit about other kinds of tools? Which tools can we use to detect uh, deepfakes? Well, I have to admit, There's no silver bullets to fight deepfakes. And if I really found a solution to, to fight deepfakes, I wouldn't be here, but still in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Because there's a lot of money involved, of course, and, and a lot of investments going on for companies in companies uh, that are working on deepfakes. Of course, we have to see how deepfakes are being created. And, and that's where the generative uh, adversarial networks come into play, the, the the so-called guns, eh? uh, where you have a generator of a deepfake video based on data of real clips. Eh? And then you have a discriminator that's constantly trying to see where the generator is making a mistake and, and it's constantly improving the whole system. It's like a cat and mouse game where uh, one part of a neural network is creating it and the other part is, is improving it uh, and so on and so on. So um, this was an approach that we used to detect it and, and that's where uh, Sherlock AI started. That was the name that some students gave to their tool. But another approach was to, to go for a sort of digital watermarking of video footage. That's more blockchain. Then. No, that, that's more a signature with cryptography that is difficult to erase from your original footage. Um, another approach that we used with the design school where I took some courses was to use blockchain uh, from the beginning and, and create a sort of video provenance tool where you put every segment of a video into a blockchain and you assign a sort of smart contract to it. The goal is to create this interface that you can use, for example, when you open uh, YouTube, where you can see as a user what parts, what segments is coming from where, because mm -hmm. now we see edited stories, but we often don't know where the footage is coming from. So with this uh, vidprof tool, every part is put into in, in, in a blockchain. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to know where this original footage is coming from, you can check under the hood and then see, okay, this part is coming from there. This was another approach that yeah. we used. Yeah. Could we say that Even if you would use blockchain and people could see where what com mm. comes from, there's still the human link is always the weakest link because when you think about it, even without blockchain, you, you see, I don't know, you see a fake news or, or, or a deep fake video on your timeline in, in, in Facebook. 
there's this confirmation bias. People see it and they think, ah, ah, of so, course, I knew it. And, and Facebook says it, sure. so it must be true. Yeah. And then people don't try to fact check. People mm -hmm. almost never fact check. And even with this blockchain, it's the same. They need to take the step to that's fact it. check. And, that's really... And it's the humans that are the weak link in this. Th that's definitely the case, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you, you use the term confirmation bias, and that's the real problem of today. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we see on, on social platforms, on social media, and, and so on, it's just we often don't go deeper. We often just read the title and it's confirming what we already thought we were knowing. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, that was one of the, the weakest things also in that VidProf tool that we uh, developed. And it's still in a prototype phase, of course. But yeah, how do you implement and how do you convince people to use it also? Mm -hmm. that, that's, um, yeah, it, it's a real issue. Yeah. Do you think that I don't know, one of the solutions could be that critical thinking or something like it should be taught that's, in schools or... Voila, that, that's, to, that, was, that was the basic learning of this year also, that um, essentially it's not a technological problem, this whole deep fake thing and this um, fake news thing. It's, it's, a, it's a psychological problem. Of course, the more people think that they cannot trust what they see, the more people will not believe what they see and so on. It's, it's a vicious circle. So uh, it's an enormous thing for us, for media, for journalists to create this media literacy. And, and that's where we have to start. I think that's the biggest learning of last year, that, mm -hmm. that more and more people should be aware of the problem, of course, but, but also that we cannot expect it to grow from itself. I mean, we, we really have to step up our efforts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You said something interesting. It's not a technological problem, but mm -hmm. I did some research, of course, before, before sure. our talk. And people tend to be incredibly biased about technology-induced problems. So we tend to think that these problems are completely new. But fake news is not new. Like, for instance, in, in New York in the 1890s, they were struggling with yellow journalism. There's the newspapers that were trying to attract more sales with sensationalism and scandals and gossip and, and fake news. Or World War II, Joseph Goebbels and his uh, spreading fake facts about Jews through posters and movies. Sure, yeah. So what do you make of this? What has changed or did nothing change? And is it the same as before? Well, as you say, fake news is, has been around for a long time already. But yeah, the whole technological layer, that's the biggest difference, I think. And then the availability for a lot of people to use the techniques also. I mean, going back to the deep fake thing, Deepfake has become readily available for everybody. Yeah? And you don't need to be a coding expert or a computer expert to work with it. I mean, think of the, the Chinese app Zhao that was um, uh, released a couple of weeks ago and, and became the number one app on the App Store in China. I mean, we'll, we'll see more of these tools being developed more and more apps will, will make it so easy. And everybody could become a victim. And that's the real problem, I think, that mm -hmm. more and more people will have reasons to say, yeah, this is plausible deniability. I mean, that, that you can distrust everything mm -hmm. um, with this technological layer. And that's something new, I think. A Dutch news anchor was uh, victimized, her head was put on the body of a porn actress just to discredit her and, and the damage was done. And, and yeah, most of the victims today are not the real big politicians, but normal people like you and me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and 
the more it's being used in closed networks, uh, that's that's a real problem that's being used in WhatsApp networks and so on, and especially in those societies where maybe that media literacy is not that well developed, mm-hmm. you see already big damage being done by this new form of fake news mm-hmm. and because it's powered by technology. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest difference, I think, mm-hmm. compared to the, the previous fake news episodes that mm-hmm. we've seen in, in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said something about that people are starting to distrust everything. Now, we can readily say that in times of deep fakes and Cambridge Analytica and, and, and Facebook and catfishing and that the truth and trusts have become really valuable scarcities. So which one do you think is more difficult to uphold? It's Is it the truth or is it trust? Because people tend to think they are the same, but they are not the same because mm. there's, for instance, we have the fact-based truth of global warming, yeah. which a lot of people choose not to trust. And then on the other hand, there's many people who really choose to, to trust fake news because of confirmation bias. Sure. Yeah. So how can we make sure that people only trust The truth is <laughs> very difficult to pronounce. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. I mean, there's not one truth anymore. And that's the whole thing. Everybody mm-hmm. has its own truth. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue is trust. And, and that's where we as journalists come into play, of course. Um, how do you make sure that trust is not breached? And, and, and yeah, what we see that trust in journalism is going down, while we see here in Belgium that the trust in our public service media is still quite okay. So how do you restore the trust? Uh, and, and how do you make sure that it's not being eroded further? Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the biggest thing, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really difficult issue. And I think, yeah, algorithms can help us with that. Um, but there's a lot of danger, of course, that algorithms can also breach that trust. So as journalists, as news organizations, we will have a bigger role in the future to verify algorithms and, and, and we can use them for our reporting-ish uh, uh, goals, but also it could create a new form of journalism We as journalists, we, we should become more like detectives trying to check algorithms and, and see how they are performing, how they are also creating problems, bias problems and so on. And, and in fact, in the US, you see already that some news organizations are developing these algorithmic accountability reporting newsrooms. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I hope we will see in Europe, too. Can you explain a bit how this works, these type of algorithmic reporting newsrooms? Do, do they, I don't know, use um, big data for checking statistics or, or f- for doing research? Um, I mean, yeah. or, or how does it work? Well, algorithmic accountability reporting is, I think it's, it's the new way to go for a lot of newsrooms because the more our lives are being decided by algorithms, for example, when you take uh, or you want to apply for a new loan for your house or you want to get a new insurance and, and more and more companies are using algorithms. But often we don't know what's behind it. I mean, on what decision is the algorithm based? I mean, that's something difficult to reproduce. So mm-hmm. should we trust the algorithm without doubts or should we have an organization or journalists who are 
trying to check if that algorithm is fair. Mm -hmm. sure. So that's what I mean with yes. algorithmic uh, accountability reporting. Yes. Yeah. And you see already newsrooms in the US like uh, the Markup and ProPublica, they did some research mm -hmm. uh, on algorithms and they really <coughs> could see that there are problems with several algorithms. For example, that one algorithm that is deciding how long somebody should be in jail okay. or how big the amount of money, the bailouts some should be and what kind of people are more at risk to have a relapse, uh, to yeah. end up in jail again. Mm -hmm. They did that research and they um, they found out that the the algorithm was biased, mm -hmm. uh, that it was more against black people. That was one example. Mm -hmm. um, I can give you a lot of other examples. Mm -hmm. For example, facial recognition. I mean, you see how a lot of algorithms using facial recognition are biased against black people yes. also because uh, the the models are being trained on white people yeah. so i mean and, and more specifically i think is, is it not white male people or white male yeah. people so, i mean yeah i don't know the details about that research but but you see who are are, are we going to trust algorithms blindly mm -hmm. or do we have journalists or organizations like here in Belgium, we have mm -hmm. Testankop, mm -hmm. where we check algorithms. I think that's that's. Um, I mean, for companies, I think that's uh, that's a way to go. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you'll. I, I hope we can see this in Europe too. Um, mm -hmm. That we see algorithms being checked and and so on. And also mm -hmm. for us as as newsrooms, that's one of the things that I'm working on at VRT, the public uh, broadcaster here, that we use AI to help us in our uh, mm -hmm. reporting. Mm -hmm. huh? Do you think that people should be educated more about algorithms which are not neutral? Because I think that a lot of people tend to think, oh, algorithms, AI, it's math. So it's statistics, it's numbers. So it's, it has to be neutral. But do you think that a lot of people realize that it's, of course, they are not neutral. They, they just reflect the people who, who are behind them. That's it. Yeah, yeah, the people who created the algorithms are often white, male, yeah. and so on. I yeah. mean, I've I have the feeling maybe here in Europe it's starting too, but in the US they're really starting to become very conscious mm -hmm. about it. That, for example, at Stanford there was one journalist in my cohort as a fellow who tried to create a, a bias detection tool in AI. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, of course, very difficult to do, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll see how far she gets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, people should not trust the algorithms blindly because mm -hmm. there's always somebody behind it, a government that maybe ordered the algorithm. And when we say governments, we can talk about how China is using algorithms mm -hmm. uh, for al algorithmic governance, of course. Mm -hmm. So the blind trust in algorithms should be, should be, be, be vigilant. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's talk about another facet of trust. So when it comes to the use of consumer data, how can we make sure that it is not used to harm our trust? So You talked about the government, about China, that's a different example, of course. But do you think that government regulation works or should trust be built inside the technology, like, for instance, with blockchain or something? How do you see this? That's a really interesting question, really good question. It's a big Difficult question. question. It's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> of course, ideally, trust should be built in the technology, but mm -hmm. how hard is that? I mean, all the examples that we've just been giving, you can see where it's flawed and, and it, there will be more flaws in it. So government regulation, yes. I mean, in Europe, we try to set the example. And from my experience, what I heard in, in Silicon Valley, and they're really 
looking up to what Europe is doing. I mean, in a good sense mm -hmm. that they say, hey, maybe this is what we should do also and that we should give people more rights on their data. Mm -hmm. Do you think that GDPR, for instance, that it worked? Because mm. we we don't we still don't really know, right? I mean, people just don't 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 care. You they just, don't care. We it's, just it's, it's, it's just a it's a formality, you and and it, it's a hassle. We just go agree, 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 and yeah. and nothing changed no. in a way. Yeah. So, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. It's a really hard question. I mean, when we talk about AI, what's the basic ingredient for the AI? The new oil, it's data, mm -hmm. and when we talk about oil, it's money. I mean. Our data, our information is money, and we should be able to sell this data mm -hmm. as a consumer, as a customer. And, mm -hmm. and I think the reason why a lot of people click yes, 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 they, they don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, people don't think about it. But as soon as they realize, hey, this is my property and mm -hmm. I maybe can earn some money with that mm -hmm. and I can help companies becoming better and, and developing better algorithms, better AI that will change. So the idea to make money with your data, with mm -hmm. your personal data, I think that's a, a really good idea. Um, mm -hmm. Today, mm -hmm. it's the other way around. Yeah. Right? So today, we pay with our data yeah. for free free <laughs> services. Yeah. What should happen maybe is that company will pay for our data mm -hmm. with free services, which sounds the same, but it's very yeah. different. Yeah. I, I hear in, in, in the US a lot of voices saying like, hey, yeah. maybe that's the way. Also, the way Apple, for example, is using data mm -hmm. and privacy as a new product, actually. I think that's something that we will see more and more, mm -hmm. um, that, that companies try to say, hey, we will pay before your data, we will protect your data, and in, in return, we, we give you better services. Mm -hmm. So, But, we talked a lot about the dark side, so maybe let's twist it around a bit and, and, and go for a more positive view. Yeah. So, most of us know about the harmful ways that deepfakes are used, like revenge porn or fake videos yeah during yeah that. bullying yes. 3.0 yeah yes <laughs> yeah but they can be used for good too right these deep fakes like mm -hmm. i don't know in the, the entertainment industry for making cheaper series um yeah I, in journalism in mm -hmm. education so can you give some examples of good sides of yeah yeah sure because that that was something that i heard at stanford too the the professors uh, were saying hey this is something really great i mean we can do a lot with deep fakes. I consider deep fakes the term deep fakes when it's really harmful. Uh -huh. So we can we we should better use the term synthetic media. Okay. Uh, because deep fake is too negative actually. But think for example how we can revive certain people that played a, an enormous role. For example, there's one museum in Florida that recreated Dali. Salvatore Dali, mm -hmm. and he's now alive again in the museum. You can call him, he shows up and he starts to uh, to tell you things. You can take a selfie with him even. <laughs> so it's amazing how you can recreate these historical figures mm -hmm. and, and help people, help students, help kids to uh, mm -hmm. to educate them. That's that's a, that's a good example for mm -hmm. me. You mentioned already the, the series, the TV series, think of the endless possibilities mm -hmm. with these synthetic media. Mm -hmm. George Clooney, he's now only <laughs> talking in English. Mm -hmm. uh, and and sure, yeah. what about in a few years, he's 
just talking in Dutch. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he's, he's playing his role in Dutch mm-hmm. and with his own voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you, you can laugh with it, but, but it's, in theory, it's possible already mm-hmm. today. Sure. You can recreate, clone his voice, let him talk in all these languages. For Netflix, it's gold, right? Yeah, but may, may, maybe in journalism as well. Maybe you interview somebody and he's not very fluent or something, and then you can maybe change the way he says a sentence. Or Now, you, of course, obviously, you can edit too now. But yeah. Yeah, that's already dark again. (laughs) I see we're going. No, no, but that's that's already that's something that um, again at Stanford was developed just before I left, where you record an interview on video, the transcripts in text you can you can edit. For example, easily when a news or weather forecaster. Made a mistake, for example, uh, yeah. and he's predicting tomorrow it's going to be 30 degrees Celsius and it's going to be, in fact, 35. Mm-hmm. But there's no time again. There's no time left to shoot to shoot the story again. So you just edit the transcript instead of 30. You mm-hmm. type in 35 and it's, yeah, in video, mm-hmm. you will see his lip sync saying 35. That's that's amazing, mm-hmm. this, this tool. This is could really help us. Mm-hmm. But, Did uh, you already use it or not? No, no, this no. is a prototype. I mean, okay. it's a matter of time before yes. it's it's being uh, really developed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it could be great, but also <laughs> very it's, scary, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah. So Trump or yeah. anybody could say anything. I, I, I um, heard once yeah. about, it was not a deepfake video, but it was audio. And I think they used the voice of the CEO yeah. of the company. Yeah. And then they had the just UK. on the base of, of one sentence that he said, I think yeah. they, they could recreate his voice. And he said, like, could you, it's really urgent. He, ta- he called somebody and Transferred said, Transferred 235,000 yeah. pounds. Yeah, that's cloning of voice, vishing, mm-hmm. we, we call it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you don't need a lot of source material no. anymore for recreating no. this voice. Um, there's one Belgian guy working at Deep Mind, mm-hmm. uh, the Google the Alphabet mm-hmm. company, mm-hmm. and they're working on that. I mean, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Again, we're back in the, the dark, <laughs> on the dark side. Always. But yeah, it's it's becoming easier and easier. But you used to need a lot of data to do that, and now yeah, it's like with, with same the, same with the deep fake. You you only need one picture. I mean, we can revive. Yeah, we can revive the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa yeah. with with um, with one picture. Um, Samsung did this in Moscow mm-hmm. in the research uh, center there. Yeah, will governments be able to regulate this or not? Mm-hmm. And should they do it or not? Mm-hmm. Or is this freedom of speech? Is this satire for us? For as journalists, when you start to regulate deep fake, for example, in China, there's already a deep fake law, mm-hmm. and it could be, of course, used against journalists, against human rights activists, against people who try to tell the truth. This could become a weapon against it truth again i mean this it's this what trump is doing as well same yeah. same we shouldn't always focus on china of course mm-hmm. and it's the same what's happening in in, in the us so mm-hmm. yeah we should really be careful with with regulation of deep fake i think okay. there's not a real solution i, I think yeah um, i'm sure that this um, will be regarded as a controversial question but how could companies use deep fakes for good well again Big question, but when when we look at what media companies are already doing, and again, we have to go to China because there's a lot of interesting applications of deepfake there. Um, 
the Chinese official press agency Xinhua created this artificial news anchor. You have them already in three flavors and three colors and three genders and and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you should really look it up online. Yeah, um, I've seen it. Yeah, it's they, impressive. They, it's <laughs> impressive. I mean. Of course, it's all about how China is considering journalists. I mean, a a robot or an AI anchor can Mm -hmm. really help you tell the news without much emotion, without just like parroting Mm -hmm. what the agency wants to be Mm -hmm. parroted. I mean... Uh, it's but, recreating but no, real opinion. no real opinion. Yeah. It's neutral. You get the information. You mm-hmm. get the emotionless face telling you this uh, this news. But but this could be also used for companies, of course, for training purposes or a salesperson, indeed, like somebody who's telling latest news about the company, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an example how yeah. companies could use sure. somebody a deep faked creation. Uh, let's talk a bit about innovation. So um, for those in charge of innovation, detecting trends and assessing what these will mean for their company and their market, the consumer and the employees, all of that is really important for companies. So in a way, there is a lot of fake news there too. So often not deliberately, but a lot of existing thought leaders and futurists are saying things that will probably not happen in the long run. So how do you think that companies can learn to discern truth from speculation in these cases? That's very difficult, of course. I mean, there's always some truth in it. And whatever a futurist is saying, maybe not everything will happen. Um, Nobody has a truth. Uh, Nobody can look into the future. I mean, there's no time traveler, as as far as I know. Nobody uh, saw the future. But the fact that these thought leaders and these futurists are already explaining what could happen in the future, maybe it makes people think Mm -hmm. of their strategy, of their innovation policy and so on. So it's the same with the climate change thinking. The Mm -hmm. fact that a lot of people are saying, hey, or a lot of scientists are are warning for the future. A lot of people are saying, hey, you're a fear monger and and there's too much doom in your speech and and so on. But it changes behavior already. And Mm -hmm. it's in a way, it's inspiring people to maybe change their behavior, but it's also helping prevent that it happens, in fact. So I think you always need to use other sources, never believe one source. That's the same what we Mm -hmm. do as journalists, Mm -hmm. always try to fact check what you hear Mm -hmm. and never believe one thinker, one leader. I mean, that's the worst thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So have a different spectrum of opinions. And the more you do this, the the more you probably make up your own mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm going in a bit in a different direction. So I read a, um, a recent piece of yours about um, AI and um, robot jo- yeah. journalists. Mm-hmm. So what struck me is that you were really optimistic, saying that um, AI will help journalists become better, um, have a more long-term outlook, um, and respond faster. And that journalists, human journalists, will always be an added value. Now, if the existing AI technology is mature, could journalists not become completely obsolete? So uh, just let me paint a really bleak future here, but an AI could write a text, a news text, based on, for instance, data that came from street cams, and then a deepfake algorithm could create a video with an existing news anchor or even a fake human reading this text and then commenting on the street camera footage. Now, 
All of these technologies already exist today, but they are not yet mature, but one day they could be. So will there still be room for optimism then, do you think? I know I think, it's dark. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's dark again. But but basically, I mean, that's, that's what we should believe, what the future of AI is. I mean, if AI is not keeping the human in the loop, I mean, it's doomed AI. I mean, we always need to think of uh, an AI where the human is centered. And that's the same for journalism, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be data-driven and data-informed, but to put a human touch on our stories, AI is not capable of doing that, mm-hmm. not for the coming 30 years, probably 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. um, if we have to believe scientists. So I think there will always be room for human journalists mm-hmm. um, and, and using AI to cut costs in the newsroom, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. That's what we see already with other news agencies in the US mm-hmm. trying to do that. In fact, it's creating more jobs like automation editors, checking results and, yep. and trying to to assemble things Mm -hmm. and that's the real problem of ai today the whole artificial thing Mm -hmm. that it's taking away jobs and that we will become obsolete i think the secret is to keep it human-centered and Mm -hmm. and make people clear that it will just augment uh, and give us superpowers in a way not only for journalists but but you can think for any any job there's like you said um i think in in the us they are already using ai to create texts about sports, for instance. Yeah. Commodity news, yes. like we say. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. But are, but, but, you, are but, you not afraid that, that it, it could become better and then maybe write investigative journalism pieces? Um, yeah, but, but if you read these articles, I mean, a lot of news agencies are already using these automated news, mm-hmm. like Wall Street Journal is doing it, uh, Washington Post and so on. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 dry. It's, it's, dry. it's, yeah. it's without emotion. Mm-hmm. It's without There's human no touch. I mean, you can fill a whole newspaper with these kind of reports, but but people won't read it. I mean, that's just like it's uh, it's computer mm-hmm. made. It's automated news. We need humans to to make a, a nice and readable story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, of course, we, we did some research already um, and you can see that an audience is putting more trust in an automated news article created by algorithms than something that was created by a human. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, a remarkable result. Yes. But it's unreadable almost. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so... Mm-hmm. It's so artificial, uh, the way the text has been written. Mm -hmm. And of course, this will improve. And that's something that we can be sure of. It will take decades. I'm I'm, safe still. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to tell this to my colleagues because they know I'm I'm working on this. And they Mm -hmm. often say like, hey, yeah, I feel a lot of colleagues, yeah, they don't want to learn more about it because they say, okay, this is too futuristic and Mm -hmm. it's too negative and and maybe it will take away our jobs, but I don't want to think about it. And and yeah, that's something that you probably hear in other uh, Mm -hmm. industries too. So um, it will change the job. It will change the job. It it will change the content of the job. And and, uh, like 15% of our tasks today can be automated already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't we do the repetitive, the boring task, leave it to the mm-hmm. the machine? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
it gives us space. It gives us time mm-hmm. to go deeper in this on, in the story. It yeah. gives us time to, to yes, yeah, look for connections and mm-hmm. so on. So I think it it will uh, yeah create a much better journalism. Yeah. In the end, mm. are, are you saying that that people in Belgium, in your industry in Belgium now, are not really open to this, or are afraid even for the for the good part? I mean, and like taking away the boring stuff. It's inherent to every person that everything with change, um, everything that has to do with change, people are a bit wary mm-hmm. of that. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's not different with journalists, of course, mm-hmm. and, and with people in the newsroom. It can automate the boring tasks, yes. But will it take away more of my tasks? Like, for example, we're starting a project with the Belgian company Robovision um, to use deep learning, for example, um, and and to see how we can use it in our archive. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a huge archive, the oldest archive here in Belgium, video and film. Today, we use humans to annotate and see what's in the archive. In certain areas in an, in an organization, like, like a news organization, you will see that some jobs will be lost. But we can put these people maybe on other tasks. Yeah. And that's where lifelong learning comes in. And that's where, of yeah. course, lifelong, we have to reinvent ourselves yeah. the whole time and, and make ourselves relevant mm-hmm. constantly. So that's... What I've been doing, what you you are doing, so mm-hmm. everybody should should be able to do this. How is the the VRT dealing with this with this lifelong learning and retraining of people, and or are, are, are they not dealing with this? Well, we have a pretty good training program, uh-huh. but it could be better. <laughs> to be short, I think more people should be aware of what the future is bringing, I mean, what the options are. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about AI, we just developed an AI education box that we will distribute to schools. It's a really cool thing. It's now translated in English too, where we educate young people, um, high school people, but it can be useful for anybody actually. The principles of AI, they can play, it's like an edu game where they play with deep neural networks, for example, facial facial recognition and so on. I would really recommend it. We can maybe put a link, uh, a download link with this podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the basic tasks of a public broadcaster like VRT to Mm -hmm. educate not only Mm -hmm. our own people, but also the rest of the population. Yeah. Okay, so education, that's a a really good place to end uh, our conversation of today. So thank you so much for joining us on the Nextworks Innovation Talks You're welcome. Thanks. It was Um, great. I really enjoyed our conversation and thanks again. You're welcome. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This was Nextworks Innovation Talks. Thank you so much for joining us and follow us on nextworks.com if you're hungry for more innovation news and events.